It's pretty amazing, really, how much of an impact MIDI has had on just music creation. Because yeah. you can do just about anything. Yeah. It's and hard to imagine what it was like before that. Um, yeah, you had to play it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Loop Community? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Chris Conway. And I'm here with Matthew McCoy. How's it going, Chris? I'm very well. How are you? What, who's on your shirt? <laughs> Django Reinhardt, the old Belgian slash French guitarist from the 30s. Look him up, kids. Oh, yeah. I've Django Reinhardt. Sure. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, Chris, today we had an interview with uh, Phil Cias. Yes, we do. And... Uh, I thought it was a really interesting interview, um, but it's also because I'm a little bit of a nerd. You are. I'm a little bit of a nerd, computer nerd. And so we Just talked a, a lot about technical, you know, well, MIDI, which I think is a really fun topic. This is an old interview. It was actually recorded two years ago, but we're reposting it on this new podcast. And uh, Don't tell them that, Matt. Right. <laughs> but I thought it was a good interview. And so we're going we're gonna, to yeah, kick good. it back into gear. When I said, Phil, you know, get started. And he says, I started out at a very early age. Huh. It just made me laugh because I was thinking, isn't it so funny how many people say that? Like, I just want to, I want to hear from someone that says, I started out at 60. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, when did you start playing guitar? Uh, I was 11. So okay. 24 yeah. now. That was my story too. You know, I started playing when I was like 10 or something. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about this interview? Uh, it was all very fascinating to me. I will admit I did not know really almost anything about Phil before this, but I still really enjoyed it. He's certainly kind of a uh, track tech kind of veteran and right. has, like you, has uh, kind of been doing it for so long that you guys have seen all these changes happen. Yeah. He is a legend in this worship world especially and, and with you know technology and all the stuff that we were talking about like phil is the man and so um let's just jump into the interview and then we'll be back and talk about it after that all right everybody welcome to the loop community podcast today i am so glad to have phil see us join us phil thanks for thanks for being here yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. It's like fun. So Phil, Phil has been, he's been around in the, the worship and music world for, for a long time and really have appreciated his work that he's done with Song Discovery. And I just thought it'd be so cool to have him on here and kind of share a little bit about, you know, worship music and also talking about gear and MIDI and loops and patches, just the history of that. You know, as we're kind of delving into this series of the history of loops. And so Phil has a lot of knowledge there. And Phil, I was wondering if maybe you could just share share with everybody who's listening just a little bit about your history with music and, and worship. How did you kind of get started? Yeah. Um, well, I started out at a very early age, just playing in garage bands. And when I was in 
grade school and junior high and into high school I uh, landed my first publishing deal wow as a songwriter so I got thrown into studio world because I had to cut demos and so and that was during the days when it was you know 16 track and 24 track two inch and what year was this do you uh, I don't want to date myself. Right, though. right, right. So, no, um, this was about like 1980. Okay. And um, I just kind of got really lucky and got to hang around studios and, and loved just the whole process and became a an intern and a second engineer into engineering, but all on analog, you know, so... Right. Uh, which which was great. And I was uh, around the time when the first digital you know, the first ADATs came out. And it, I mean, that was just such a stinking game changer because you could, you could basically buy an eight track digital ma- machine yep. and get a Mackie little console and you were cutting, you're doing stuff that you had to literally pay a recording facility in right. the past to do. So that was a big game changer in recording. But prior to that, had gotten a job right out of high school being working for Guitar Center in Sherman Oaks, California, right at the beginning of the DX7 and MIDI. Oh, and wow. that was a big game changer for keyboard players. Really. Is that when MIDI kind of came into the scene in the eight, early 80s? Yeah. Everyone was trying to figure out what it was and what, you know, they knew it was it was an interface and it connected, you know, you had 16 channels and, you yeah. know, what, what was that all about? And, you know, what could you put on? Could you put audio through the channels? And, you know, so <laughs> I think we're all still trying to figure out exactly <laughs> yeah, what it is. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was real. It was a real exciting time. And then with yeah. the sequencer that, you know, Yamaha came out with sequencers that were MIDI and then you could take multiple keyboards and have them play different parts. And I think right alongside of that, maybe, you know, a couple months later and Sonic came out with its first sampler. It was like a 12-bit sampler that you recorded onto floppy disks, your wow. samples. And yeah, it was a pretty cool time. And it, did it record like an actual, just an audio file, like a wave so, file or? Yeah, audio. So you, it had like a... You know, I had a quarter inch mic input in the back. And so, you know, you would find like naked snare hits or arms and stuff and just sample those and then trigger them off the keyboards. And the classic one for me was an Aretha Franklin's Rock Steady. There's a there's a two bar just drum thing in there that I sampled. And I probably wrote about 20 songs with that underneath it, you know. And it was on a floppy disk and you put it in a keyboard and play it back. Yeah. Yeah. Trigger it through keys, and then your tempo couldn't do anything with the tempo other than the tempo that you recorded it in. And right. then it would go down the keyboard, and of course, it would speed it up in quarter and in, in half. Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you. So, how do you actually stay in time? Were you guys on a click track, or did you just have to play along with the sample? You played along with the sample. Wow! So you so, had to make sure the drummer could hear it loud enough. Yeah. Yeah, what we would do is, you know, and they were only two bar beats. So with a sequencer, you could hit if it's if the sample was on middle C, you hit your middle C on the downbeat. Yeah, let it played for two bars and then redo it, and then you could quantize that, and it would be, you know, it would get pretty locked in there, you know. But that was the beauty of of that was that there was kind of still a looseness behind it, you know. Right, it wasn't so rigid. Yeah, and so this sample probably would just play throughout the entire song. Right, and you'd be playing along with it. Play along and have, you know, stuff on top, augment it with, you know, percussion or real drums or whatever. But it just, you know, there was something about just the grittiness and the way it was recorded and, you know, and the feel of it was really cool. And that's fascinating. So you actually were sampling off of a recording. And were people not, at that time, were people not really concerned about... Yeah, it was so new. I mean, the the idea of getting permission to use loops... Totally different. Totally different. And I think it was 
you know, one of the first rap or hip hop artists that had a major hit underneath like a James Brown um, funky drummer thing. I think that's when all the lawyers and labels got involved and it was like, okay, we, we need to start getting permissions now if money's being made. Right, right. That That's pretty awesome. And then when you guys made these samples, did you guys have a way of sharing these, like these discs with each other? Or? Yeah. So the thing of it was, if you were a salesman, like in LA at the time that was selling gear, whether it was at Guitar Center or West LA Music or Sam Ash or whatever, I mean, it was very competitive. So the, the guy I worked with, what we did was we would collect samples and then also patches from the DX7. And we would store them on like a, I think it was like a Apple IIc you know like one of the earliest wow. apples yeah and a commodore 64 and so if you bought your keyboard from us we would give you you know sounds that we had kind of collected from other players and stuff and so it was like in a way it was one of the first kind of sound communities you know guys would come in and go hey i got this great fender Rhodes patch for a dx7 you know, I'll trade you that if you have any new bass sounds and stuff. And so we just wow. started collecting these things. And then, you know, you guys would bring in their little DX7 um, ROM, RAM cartridges and load them up, you know, and everyone started sharing sounds that way instead of, you know, the way they do it today. But that was like the first, first real way of doing it. Right. That's... It's, it's pretty wild because it is kind of, it's pretty similar to even what we're doing now, except for yeah. what we're doing now is just digital. Right. You know, then you're actually just passing around discs. Right. Yeah. So it was floppy disks or Yamaha would sell these RAM cartridges, you know, for like a hundred bucks. Wow. You could um, store 32 sounds. <laughs> Unreal. So, yeah. 32. Yeah. The Wild West. Wow. So yeah. when, for you, when did, uh, I'm not really even sure on the timeline of, you know, recording studios with digital huh? recording, like Pro Tools, when did like music software start coming into play? Because you were making sounds on a keyboard. Did right. you ever transition to making sounds in software? I think once Pro Tools kind of made its entrance, you know, that's when, yeah. you know, I think that's when people started finding their niche. So right. if you were a player, you really just played and then you would, you would look for, okay, where are the resources for sounds? If you were an engineer, you know, a guy that was really into computers and programming, that's what you would do. So I, at that point, just kind of like jumped ship in terms of creating samples because there were so many guys that were doing it mm -hmm. and doing it great. And it's like, you know, I, I, at that point, it's like, I just want to play and write rather than spend a day trying to create the great snare sound, you know? Right. So at that point, yeah, once I think once Pro Tools got into the, to the game, that's when people started finding, you know, their roles in the food chain of sounds and recording, as it were. Right. It's pretty amazing, really, how much of an impact MIDI has had on just music creation. Because yeah. you can do just about anything and then yep. fix it by, you know, clicking and dragging, you know, MIDI notes around in software. And yeah, it's and hard it, to imagine what it was like before that. Um, yeah, you had to play it. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you imagine that. And punch in and punch out. And right you now it was um, it was a lot of fun. And what's funny is, is that some guys I play with now that are young, really great players and, and they're all talking about finding old analog gear and, and, um, you know, recording through, you know, two inch machines now. And I'm like, guys, there was nothing romantic about it. You know, right. where you're at today, what's available to us today is so much, you know, 
it was a lot of work having to cut stuff, splice stuff with razor blades and for editing. And, you know, you miss wow. it. You don't get it. You lose it, you know. So it's it's kind of funny. I mean, it all comes full circle. But I, I was glad that I got to learn on both spectrums, being able to work with analog and tape as well as now, you know, everyone's working on a D, uh, you know, digital audio system and workstation. Hey, music creators and producers, do you have any experience creating tracks for worship? Here at loopcommunity.com, you can upload and sell the tracks you make to earn some extra cash. Recently, a contributor told us that the extra money he made from selling tracks on Loop Community helped him pay off all of his student loans. If you're new to creating your own tracks, we have many resources on our site to help you learn how to make music. To get started, click the Upload button at the top of our website. You'll need to fill out a simple application, and once you're approved, you can start selling your tracks to the entire worship community. If you don't make tracks, know that the purchases you make on Loop Community are supporting a local worship leader. The community is grateful for you. So are you doing anything uh, now with production or music? Or? Yeah, um, I do quite a bit. Um, uh, do, producing a lot of uh, Spanish worship music right now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and um, so that's that's uh, been great along you know along with um, contemporary Christian artists that I'm working with that are we're, we're doing a couple of projects with so yeah my dance card's pretty full so I'm pretty excited about that and you're using MIDI a lot um, yeah I, I am uh, I'm in Logic and uh, I love that because it's, I think it's probably the the finest integration of both audio and MIDI you know yeah. I really like, I really love working with MIDI and Logic. Yeah. And also the sound, I've always, I've always been impressed too with the sound libraries in Logic. Yeah, they're, they're pretty great, actually. I mean, if you, you know, if you dig into them, uh, it's pretty amazing what Logic gives you. And especially now with the stuff that they have and the, the tuning, you know, right. the, the tuning plugins that they provide. I mean, it's just, it's really great. So, um, do you have any third party plugins that are your go tos? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> so what are what are some like good just like for our contributors on loop community if they're looking for good keyboard sounds or drum oh, sounds man. yeah so nexus 2 is a great keyboard plugin in uh, synth that i'm using of course omnisphere and rmx and the trillion for bass um but nexus is great have you used any vengeance samples have you heard of vengeance no i haven't okay uh, someone was recently just telling me about Vengeance. Apparently, it's kind of like a, a sample pack that is really big in the pop music world. So, people who are making like Justin Bieber, Katy Perry stuff, uh-huh. just uh, kick drums. Oh, wow. Snares yeah. that are very like high production pop. The other, yeah. And I just got this Rev synth, this Rev Soft synth. Oh, that's I've, I've pretty heard that, great. Yeah. So everything's yeah, it's just a great library of reverse stuff, but it's much more than that. I mean, the programming on it is great. So for pop music, it's it's pretty killer. Yeah. So, are you writing worship music at all? Or um, yeah, I am. Uh, I continually do that. So between um, worship writing and then the other songwriting are two to me. They're just two different right things so you know the worship songs that i write are really things that are birthed out of the church that i'm attending or you know that come out of just um stuff right. that our congregation's going through and or right. or teachings right. that you know we're going going through 
on the Bible, but it's very difficult for me to kind of sit in a room and go, okay, man, let's, let's write a worship tune, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, but I do. Yeah. It's just a little, it's a little bit of a slower burn for me on the, on the output of worship songs. Right. And you've been in the worship world for a while, so you've probably seen it just change, like the styles yeah. and approaches change so much over the years. And it's it's interesting to me as I see like even what Hillsong Young and Free is mm-hmm. doing now. Like there's, it seems like a lot of worship music now is very much electronic music, yeah, pop soundy driven. And I wonder, like, do you see it continuing that direction, or do you think it's going to be? Yeah, I think, I mean, this is just my, you know, my two cents, but I think we, uh, worship uh, music was so entrenched in that YouTube guitar thing for such a long time that the now with, you know, with Hillsong and um, Planet Shakers and stuff, I mean, bringing more of an EDM feel to things. I think in a lot of ways, it's a breath of fresh air. Right. And so I kind of think it's going to stay there and evolve within, you know, the way that that music is evolving. And the other thing, too, is that it's um, the technology that's available for it to evolve is right is pretty great. So I think it'll be a while before maybe it goes back to the acoustic guitar. Right. Thing, like, vineyard, like it's not just a fad right now. Right. Yeah. MIDI, MIDI has a life in it does in the yeah. future of worship music. Yeah. So and the other the other thing that I've noticed in in worship is more worship teams now not being so afraid but embracing technology you know within the team so like you know playing the loops and stems and right you know it's like that's kind of exciting and because i think it just sharpens your playing and i'm excited that happens you know yeah that is really cool yeah well thank you so much for just spending some time with us and i appreciate just everything you've done to you know, get worship music out there into churches and get independent artists heard. And I mean, you've just had such a huge impact. Well, thank you. Um, my, my pleasure to do that. It's always, it was the fun part of the fun part is just hearing all of this stuff that's coming around the country and the world for that matter. So, right. Um, yeah. So where, uh, it, you know, if, if our contributors want to find you or I don't know, find your music or producing, like where can they find you? Are you on Twitter or <laughs> the website or? Uh, man, that's a great, you know, I really am so kind of off the grid just, um, for some of the Spanish worship music that I've been doing, um, tsgrecords.com is, is, it's available there and it's also available on iTunes as well. So yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. Bye. Right. One, two. What's going on, guys? It is now time for our mailbag. We love this part of our segment because we get to answer questions that are sent in from our community of people that just love Loop Community and just really have needs and questions that they want answered. So let's dive right in. Uh, And our first question comes from Pete in Tallahassee, Florida. Pete says, does your church use tracks? So... I've been a part of a few churches. Uh, the most recent church uses tracks every weekend. We always use Ableton Live. It's just a music software, and it's like the Microsoft Word of running tracks. So uh, we use Ableton Live to really do like uh, transitions from lighting to lyrics mm-hmm. and music all connected. So it's not we don't have to worry about like having separate individual positions for each because it's so it's kind of nice. And nice. then 
when it comes to like student ministry or like kids worship or something during the week, I always use Prime because yeah. let's face it, Prime is awesome. Uh, but it's just easier for me just because with Ableton, it's a lot going on. Yeah. So like I have to pre-program a lot of things, but with Prime, I'm not really doing the same thing. So it's, I don't have to use as much, which is why I utilize Prime. It's just easier for me to quickly set it up mm-hmm. and kind of go. So mm-hmm. it can make a mediocre band who have volunteers that are like maybe not as confident as they'd like to be, like really confident. Right. And it makes it just really mesh. And then, you know, it just, it gives us a full sound that otherwise we wouldn't have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I always recommend to people to just try it. Just go for it. Um, yeah. Even if you're just using it to keep your band tight, like it helps so much. Yeah, totally. Great. Um, well, our second question comes from Ted in San Diego, California. How's it going, Ted? Ted? What's up, Ted? Um, the question is, who is your favorite worship artist and why? Wow. Oh, man, that's a tough um, question. It's tough because there are a lot of them, and I feel like there are a lot for different settings and different... This like goes in the same arts questions as like, what's your favorite movie or what's your favorite right. TV show? And it's like, um, yeah. For sure. So I have a lot that I would say listen to at different times, depending on what I'm feeling or would totally. play at different times. But one of my new favorites, I'll bring that up. My new favorites is the Royal Royal. Oh, man. They just released their new album, Rococo. It's... Rococo. Awesome. Yeah, Rococo. Yeah, got a um, It's awesome. It's different <clears throat> than a lot of worship um, albums I feel like it's got kind of a pop feel to some of the songs like Neon Sign is an awesome song from that album you can tell they really want to connect people to the Lord with their music and yeah I love the album I love the artist I've been listening to their older stuff too now more because I didn't really know about them before this release do you Um, like listen to the do you listen to something and like put it on repeat yeah until you get like sick of it yep I'm one of those people that will overplay a song or even a like top 40 hit that everybody's already sick of I'll replay it until yeah I'm done <laughs> I'm that guy that like shares it on Instagram and stuff so that everyone should like listen to what I'm listening to because <laughs> right. I think I know music the best which <laughs> I really don't I just you know I like sharing things on Instagram because when I'm listening to a good album oh yeah it's like oh man I, I want other people to hear this and just love it as much as I do. But they are a great band. That I think what's great about them is that they have their melody lines mm-hmm. are very catchy. Oh yeah. So they have several songs that are just like you can listen to it for 15 30 seconds and the melody's like stuck in your head, which is like great. Mm-hmm. Which which is a it's a true indicator of like good songwriting. So, but yeah, I like the Royal Royal. They're really good. Yeah, Champion is another song on that album where the melody yeah. is stuck in my head all the time. Totally. So, go listen to Royal Coco. It's good. I don't... Man, that's a hard question to answer. It is. I think, like, for... for if it's, like, worship music, I always will listen to, like, Bethel. Yeah. That's just, like, hands down my favorite. And I think they're just so on the rise right now. Like, it, it's been Hillsong for so long, and Hillsong is great, too. They're still number one, I think. But Bethel is, like, a close number one, number two. For it, sure. Yeah, and I love all the projects they do because they're just... The way they write songs is very, like, lyrical. Yes. And their melodies are very different. Like, it's not a... It's not always, like, a... This, which is kind of Hillsong United, sort of. Like, you know how Hillsong United and Bethel, when they write songs, it's not traditionally, like, something you'd hear in church. Right. But it's still like that worshipy type song. So I love that. And then my favorite artist of all time, this is the one I grew up with, just Christian-wise, that's not worship, sort of, is Stephen Curtis Chapman. Oh, yeah. Old school, I know. Old school. But 
he like when I first started listening to him in high school that like got me started down the road of like wanting to develop myself as a singer songwriter and like a guitar player and so I thought he was like so cool his songs were so cool that's awesome and uh it's one yeah. of my first CDs yeah dive was, yeah or speechless yeah yeah yep speechless speechless when I was in middle school and <laughs> listen to that sweater. on my Love CD it. player yeah it was great oh man that's awesome cool uh next question uh the next question number three is from samuel and he's from south bend uh and he asks oh man what is your songwriting process so wow (laughs) big question yeah okay so first of all before anyone ever answers this question and and people that have been asked this question i've been to like you know certain seminars and stuff where they'll have like some big artists there and all the time that i've heard this they always say there's not some cookie cutter way of doing this right all the people that i've heard answer this question say it's like you know it's different for everybody which i would totally agree with like it's it is truly different for everyone so how i usually songwrite i just released a single on itunes not too long ago a few months ago called glory known go check it out great song Thank you, sir. Uh, but it was really nerve wracking because like it's my first major single that's on iTunes yeah. and there's no bigger critic of your music than you. Right. So you're always like going over and like just mulling over your song over and over and over again. And I, I try to think about like, you know, what is the story of this song? Because lots of times people say, this is how my song came about. And honestly, like I remember being in my bedroom just like going through some stuff and like thinking about like what our reason is for being here on earth, you know? And I, it's, mm-hmm. you know, we try to get great jobs. We go to school, we get married, we have a family. We do all the things that you're supposed to do, quote unquote. But like at the end of the day, like why were, wh- why was I put here on this planet? Right. And I think a lot of it is like the true meaning of worship is to just make his glory known back to him. But like I can do that right through the way I live and work with other people and how I relate to other people. Like I, I do that through my relationships with others um, and how I serve and continually do this. So I think that's kind of how my, the first part of my songwriting process is you have to have a story, right? You have to have something that's like, what's your motivation? Right. Then the, the fork in the road comes down to the, the technicalities of it. So like the first thing people say is, well, I like to start writing first and then I add the music to it later. And then some people say, oh, well, I, I have this melody in my head. And then like, I just kind of fill in the words to it later on. And then some people actually say that they do it at the same time. Like it all happens simultaneously. And again, there's no cookie cutter way for me most of the time. And it was true of this song too. I have this melody that I think the Lord gives me and I just start humming some notes in my head. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of record the melody first. And usually it's like, la 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 <laughs> i just hum, i just kind of like hum that out and then once i have like a set melody i'll put chords to it on the guitar or the piano or something record that always 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 record your stuff For like sure. even if if you're like with your phone like use the voice recorder to like right. record a 15 second clip of it because you'll forget it you'll forget it yeah. right away and then then i plug the lyrics in later because i can mull over like what do i want to say how do i want to say it and i need to fit it into the meter of mm-hmm. the song like the melody is profound, but I want the lyrics to be the hero, right? Right. So that's my process is kind of get alone with the Lord or just wherever's comfortable for you, a, a good creative writing space. 
and like really just think about what it is that's on your heart. Which, what message do you want to speak back to God or what message do you want to speak to others or what message do you want to speak to, even to yourself? Mm-hmm. And then start with like either the writing or the music. Like start with one and then try to like a puzzle piece fit it in. And you'd be pretty surprised on uh, what happens and you formulate your own process. But that's mine. And the last part of that is just like collaboration with other people. So don't be afraid to like, you know, I think of that song like um, where it's like hide your light under a bushel. Mm -hmm. No, I'm going to let it shine. Right. And it's the same thing with your song. Don't feel like, okay, I'm going to, I have this secret song and it's never been done like this before. And I think it's great. And I'm not going to share it with anybody because whatever. Right. You be, you will be amazed at how, when you like open that up to people and they say, Hey, what if you did this here? What if you, um, you know, etc. I mean, and, and you start changing your song and then when you hear the finished product, it's like, wow, I never would have been able to do this by myself. So I encourage you like get out there and co-write with somebody, like ask them what they think and get their input and, you know, make sure it's a trusted source. <laughs> right. You know, I think I, I asked, I actually asked John Guerra to kind of comment on my song and he kind of coached me through some things. That's awesome. So that's great. And it's good to have a trusted, like reliable source who's like a really good songwriter or artist that you can trust and that to help give you positive feedback. Definitely. Cool. Awesome. Well, our last question for today's mailbag segment is from Jordan in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Jordan. What's up, Jordan? Um, he asks, how can I develop a better quantity and quality of volunteers for my worship team? <clears throat> that is a great question. We get asked that a lot because it seems to be a big topic for we people. We do get asked that a lot, actually, through just support and... Social media. Yeah. Out, even outside of Loop Community, I've, I've heard that question, like at different seminars and stuff, like, how, what do we, how do we do this? Right. It can be hard. You can be started for six months and feel like you're not getting anywhere, feel like you're not having people want to be scheduled or be really involved or getting new volunteers. Um, I would say like the biggest thing can be treating the people like relationally, like relating to them as people and not treating it just like a job and like something that they have to do. Like, don't just walk around your church and be like, Hey, do you play in the worship, want to play in the worship band? Like learn about the volunteers that you have and really pour into them, um, in ways, um, that they might not expect, honestly, from you. They might treat it kind of as a job at first, but just pour into them, show them that you want to be their friend and that you want to like, that you're there to build this relationship with them and be a team. Yeah. Um, Because you don't really know, you don't really know what's going on in their lives. And and most of the people that are put in a position of leadership to, to round up volunteers, they think, you know, they're getting paid for this most right. of the time they're in a paid position to do this and they it's it's really easy to get to, for worship leaders to get their mind inside of this box where it says okay all i have to do is practice guitar print off a few chord charts and s- select the songs we're going to do mm-hmm. and like that's kind of it and and they know they have to schedule people but they don't think of it as like this role of mine is pastoral first right? and like stage music second. You know what I mean? Like it, you can't do any of these things without relationships with people because your position like is a direct reflection of the leadership and your relationships with those people that are helping serve with you. Yeah. And they retain that and they want 
to serve with you. They want to, they may not be the best guitar player you've ever heard, but they want to get better because they look up to you and they want to have a great sound with your team. I'd much rather have somebody like that. That's like, you know, if they're not like at a 10 as a guitarist, maybe they're like a six, Mm -hmm. but they have a heart of a 10. Right. And I'd much rather take that because I can build the six to where I need it to be after I coach them. For sure. them. And, And like, you know, if Billy or whoever your person is that's playing drums or whatever, if you, you just don't, you don't know, like, did his parents just lose their job or, you know, is he, is he going through like a really tough time with something? If you would just like go out to coffee with them or like say, Hey man, why don't we just go to a ball game or like grab dinner and just like hang out? Don't talk about worship. Don't talk about any of that stuff. Just get to know him. And I promise you that will really increase the desire that they have to be a better musician because they're going to look up to you. They're going to say, Hey, this person isn't just out to like fill a chart or fill some type of like, like cross, cross the, uh, the checklist, but he's like really wanting to get to know me and build into me. Yeah. It's just like if you had a friend in any circumstance, like you're not just going to ask that person to like help you move and watch your kids. Like, right then they won't want to do it. I mean, They'll some, say, some people do. I mean, people but. do that, but then just, you're not going to get that same relationship. You're not going to get their same positive attitude. And right. Yeah. I, I don't really have great relationships with my coworkers. So if I need to move, <laughs> I just, I just ask them to help me move and that's it. No, I'm just kidding. Oh. No, we have, we have good camaraderie here. We like to pick on each other and kind of sure. have a good time. But yeah, that's, that's very true. I think that it's good to like, you know, relationships are key. Right. And I think, you know, if you're, someone that is new to your position or if you've been in your position for a long time you know I would say start with the relationships but just know that like don't be afraid to reach out for help like you don't have to have it all figured out by yourself for sure like reach out to to churches that are larger than you and didn't always used to be at the large size but they had to get from a to b so they they know what it takes to get there mm-hmm. so reach out to those people like just contact those churches if you even if you don't know the worship pastor there, just contact them say hey i am a pastor of worship here or whatever and i am having some trouble with worship volunteers with scheduling them and growing them and you know like what ideas do you have and how did you get from a to b and they, they'd love to help so for sure cool well, guys, that is it for today's mailbag, and we will chime back in um, either the next podcast or two from now with another mailbag. So if you have questions, uh, be sure to send them to podcast.loopcommunity.com, and we'll be sure to add those questions to our mailbag. Awesome. Till next time, peace out. This is Community Talk. So, Chris, so what, do you, what do you think about MIDI? Um, it's still all very confusing to me, but... <laughs> What stood out to you in this interview? Well, what stood out to me, which probably didn't stand out to anyone else, is the fact that he got his first like music publishing deal when he was in high school. Right. I just laugh at that because, like, yeah, who does that? Who does that? Who? What high school even knows what that is? Or yeah. you know, like, I thought that. But it, I would love it, to see what that deal was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it uh, it says something about his uh, songwriting abilities. If if publishers are. Yeah. going after someone in high school that's uh right that's great <laughs> yeah that is pretty amazing he's a really talented guy i thought uh, it was just so interesting to to hear about how much it's changed yeah um and also how much it has not changed so like you know they're sampling recordings 
which as a yeah. licensing guy, you know that that's definitely a big no-no. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays, like everybody's like super uptight about, you know, sampling and actual recording and using it in your own recording. Yeah. You know, without licensing it, which, without which, licensing which is a it, yeah. no-no. But mm-hmm. it's just interesting how, you know, back in the 80s or whatever we were talking about there. Yeah. You know, people probably weren't even thinking about that. Yeah. There was no really concern. No regulations. Way. Definitely. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Or there were regulations and they were just ignoring it. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. You're mentioning the changes that kind of took place through the years and I was just like cracking up at him talking about recording to floppy disk. Yes. <laughs> That what is, a short-lived piece of technology. I know. But I do think it was interesting that, you know, Loop Community, that they basically started the first, like, Loop Community in a way. You know, back then, I think he was calling it a sound community. Yeah. Where, you know, back then, they were creating their own sounds, putting them on floppy disks, mailing them across the world in exchange <laughs> for your floppy disk. I know. And it was exactly what we're doing really now, except for, you know, it's all on the website. Where it's like, hey, a lot easier. Yeah, because now we've got worship leaders who are making tracks for songs, and they can upload them and share them with other worship leaders. Right. And you know we're doing it legally because we license everything. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was so cool that like they were doing that. You know, before literally they had... mailing things to each other. Yeah. It's it sounds so absurd, you know, almost at this point, but uh, it right. really wasn't even that long ago. <laughs> right. So yeah, no, I thought that was really cool and. I also thought what was interesting is I was asking him, you know, and, and, and mind you, this was back in 2013 when this interview was recorded. Mm-hmm. So that's like, what, four years ago. And I asked him in this interview, do you think that the worship sound is still going to stay very electronic, yeah. heavy, you know, kind of pop heavy? And it's just interesting listening to that back again um, four years later. Right. Because exactly what he said definitely has happened. Yeah. If anything... People now are more than ever before embracing tracks and electronic music in the worship sound. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And um, I didn't really grow up listening to any of this or in the whole kind of worship world. So it was like this whole bubble that I never even knew existed. And uh, yeah, it's really thriving and growing. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the worship sound now is pretty electronic and it's almost exactly what he predicted which yeah i thought was interesting so phil's phil's the man he's such a great guy too i love um i've, I've had a few opportunities to hang out with him one-on-one in person at the national worship leader conference and uh, he's just such a good guy for a long time he ran song discovery mm-hmm. which was a uh, it was a it's kind of like a cd subscription service where every month you got a cd of like new 12 new worship songs that were written by guys from all over the United States. And it was such a cool, cool thing. And Phil, you know, head, headed that up. So, um, he's just really been doing some awesome stuff and now he's producing new music. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that we got to have him on the podcast and yeah, I enjoyed it. You've learned everything you need to know now about MIDI, right? Everything I need to know. Okay. We'll get your, and everything you people need to know. I'm looking at all of you. <laughs> all right. Such a good interview. Really enjoyed, uh, that time with Phil and uh, that kind of wraps up this podcast, but you know what? We, uh, we would love to hear from you guys, any sort of suggestions or if there's someone that you would love to have an interview with, um, hear us interview, shoot us an email to podcast at loopcommunity.com. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next time.
loopcommunity.com. Thanks for listening to the Loop Community Podcast. Wait, don't leave yet. Go subscribe.